I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Mel. Hi, my name is Mel, and I am a compulsive overeater. Um, is how it works. Ah, oh, good. The steps are here. I would ask you, please, to put a mental garbage can by your chair. And anything that comes out of my mouth that you don't agree with, that you don't like, that you don't understand, that doesn't work for you, please just put it there. Um, from these platforms, we've all, any of us who have been to more than two meetings have heard a lot of real weird stuff <laughs> from some people who were supposedly um, relieved or, or recovered or whatever. Um, the only thing that I'm recovered from is a seemingly, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Um, they say to speak of experience, strength, and hope. Well, I have whatever experience. Uh, I just was doing the numbers. Whatever experience 24 years in these rooms gives me. Um, strength varies from day to day. Uh, sometimes I think I've got the strength of three men and a good jackass, and other times I, I have nothing whatever. Uh, and that's just a factor of being human. And if I've learned nothing in these rooms, it's that that's, you know, what we are. Uh, we are, you know, what's it say? We are not saints. Um, but what we are is by God willing. Um, and I am that. Uh, so experience, that's what it is. Strengths, that's what it is. But boy, do I have hope. Um, and I got hope at my very first OA meeting because I came in here in 1979, hadn't brushed my teeth for at least months. Uh, I was wearing uh, clothes that were clean, but um, they were, you know, wearing out. And I really did believe that. You know, they just didn't build clothes like they used to because I was always wearing out the thighs. I was 347 pounds. Um, today I weigh 221. The only reason I know I weigh 221 is that I was at the doctor's office the other day. I've got some new medical stuff going on. So I came in here at 36 and a half years old. I looked like I was 60 plus. Um... Today I'm 60, and I, I don't know that I look 60. I know I don't look 36, but the fact is I've had the experience of youthening in this program. And so if you're new here um, and you don't lose an ounce, um, maybe that's a good reason to give it another meeting or two or three or four or five and see if, if somebody from a, a podium like this speaks to your heart. Um, as well as to your mind. I'd like to take... I have no speech prepared. But since I'm going to be leaving Southern California, I've, I've been going to meetings, uh, as I said, since 79. I will tell you that my abstinence date is March the 17th of 1980. 
And what I'm abstinent from is any of my alcoholic foods. And what alcoholic foods are for me are anything with the name Marie Callender or Sara Lee on it. Um, they are also uh, sugar above of a certain percentage, like 10 or 15. Uh, I don't live in a completely sugar-free world. Um, thank God I'm not diabetic. Thank God, you know, I have blood pressure of, of 117 over 80. So, you know, I'm, I'm all right. Um, life, is, life was crud when I got here. Uh, it is just incredible now. And so that's the other reason why, if this is new, this is not in an evangelical kind of meeting. Nobody's here to convert anybody. Um, well, maybe. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I would like to hold out the possibility of the change of lifestyle. But this is not a religious conversion where anybody's going to suddenly be told that this is what you have to do in order to get salvation, say amen, brother. It's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. What it is, is a, a, a process called 12 Steps, 12 Traditions, uh, 8 Tools, and 12 Concepts of Service. And out of that, uh, my life has shifted from being all about being a human doing to suddenly realizing that I'm a human being. And trying to keep those two in balance, you know, a human doing versus a human being, is still, it's still a huge challenge for me. Um, it's interesting, in the last uh, week, I was at uh, a gathering and it was an ecclesiastical gathering in my denomination and what I was among was a bunch of people who are wonderful at being truly spiritual leaders most of them leaders of congregations others were laity others were board people but these were folks who were Great beers, and I, and I thought that was the way to be. Um, I happen to be a doer. I'm in a uh, an engineering kind of profession. Um, I grew up being a doer. I come from a family of doers, and so I had no clue what being was. All I was was, you know, teach me how to do so I can get some relief. Well, I promise in here we will learn some things to do. And it will bring relief. But what the real change is, is that if I am somebody that is, my, my grounding is in being, man, I need to learn how to do. Because I'm here to tell you that a third of those folks that were wonderful beings needed help dressing themselves. I mean, it's just kind of the way it was. And if I am over here doing nothing, and, and incidentally it occurred to me too because uh, Columbia had just gone down and I was thinking, would I want any of these wonderful people to be involved in the design of the space shuttle? And the answer was sure no. Um, on the other hand, 
would any of those people want me, a professional doer, to be, you know, leading them towards some kind of a spiritual enlightenment? Uh-uh. So it's like... And, and I, I've got to tell you, the real challenge for me still is making that shift from one to the other and making it seamlessly. And I'm here to tell you it's doable because I saw some people that are, and from time to time, I've been able to do it as well. Uh, when I got here, the thing that made me stick was that when I walked in the room, there were people that were genuinely happy to see me and they made me welcome and it was a genuine kind of thing. The smiles on your faces were real. I looked around the room like I'm looking around this room. We were all shapes and sizes and colors and flavors and weights and, and the first thing I did is I would look and say, wait a minute, she doesn't need to be here. Uh, oh, she needs to be here. Uh, maybe I need to be here, but maybe it's also big bones and a thyroid problem. You know, So it's like uh, it's just the idea that um, I needed to take responsibility for having gotten myself exactly where I was and to learn the difference between taking responsibility and, and taking blame. And it was like, God, five years before somebody sat me down and explained the difference between responsibility and blame. And, and, and I am just so glad that I waited around for that one because there are just so many ahas that happen. I mean, what does this have to do with, with our unusual relationship with food? Well, let me back up. What is our ticket to be here? Um, our ticket to be here is that we have an unusual relationship with food. I am a classic compulsive overeater. I overeat it. Um, I have this disease that says if one of something I like is terrific, then two is twice as good, three times, three is three times. You know how, how, how that one goes. Um, I'm, a, a sensually, I'm a sensual individual. When that, what that means is that I am really wired into my senses. Uh, beauty is, is a very special thing to me. Taste is a very special thing to me. Smell is a very special thing to me. That's what I mean by sensuality. Um, I over. Um, I no longer overeat, but you know what? I still over. Um, I over clutter. I happen to believe, incidentally, that there isn't anybody in this or any other 12-step room that isn't a step one on something. And... Is this a pitch meeting uh, or not? Do people get a chance to share? Oh, okay. Well, then, uh, if, if, if it were, I would put out as a, as a possible subject of pitches, what are you at step one at, regardless of your level of recovery? Because I am at step one on clutter, and I'm at step one on the management. Every, you know, God gives every one of us a certain amount of time in the day. And... I don't have a good relationship with time. I think that I and, and the people that, that work with me can accomplish a certain amount of things in a day 
and no matter how I hedge it, we don't come close. And that's just my step one issue. What I heard in the, in the late 70s and early 80s when OA was new and AAs would come over to talk to us is that the common theme was there is nothing, absolutely nothing on God's green earth that will not respond to an application of these 12 steps and in our case these 8 tools and these 12 concepts of service. Nothing. And then the guy who was giving the example, it was a Native American, and he was uh, into uh, horses. And he used, he walked through all 12 steps with respect to capturing and breaking and training and domesticating a wild horse. And so if it'll work for a wild horse, it'll (laughs) work for this stubborn jackass and second of all it'll work for whatever it is is in every one of our lives so what's our ticket to be here we have an unusual relationship with food we undereat it we eat it and throw it up we laxitize it we overeat it we exercise it whatever it might be but the unusual relationship with food has suddenly gotten the way of our lives and I here's what it took for me to realize that my wife at the time saying I can't handle this anymore I don't care I, you know we've had a lot of love here but it's 12 years and we've had 10 great ones and one that uh, wasn't so good and the last one's the pits I'm out of here and incidentally that was that happened at a bakery uh, you know that's you know that was and it happened at a bakery because I was the one that wanted to make sure that that's where we were having breakfast on a daily basis um because what I was going to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and who I was going to have it with, and where I was going to have it, became more, more important than the responsibilities I had in my life to my relationship, to my marriage, to my job, to whatever relationship I had with God, which at that time was zero. And the reason for that is that... Um, and in the Jewish tradition that I grew up in, uh, a lot of people have heard of this this rite of passage called a bar mitzvah, and that's the the time when you supposedly are awakened into the faith. You become a man. You become a fully participating member, deserving member, and you've formalized your relationship with God. Well, it also meant going to school on Saturday, and I just wasn't about to do that, so I found a way out of it, and so I missed that whole thing. And what happened with me is that I got it wired in this little head that I had had my shot, and it was over. And so as far as a relationship with God was concerned, I missed the train, it left, I was done, and that was the way I lived my life from the age of about 14, 15 to the age of, you know, 36. And then all of a sudden, when I heard about God in here, which was a scary word at first, then they also said, but it's not that one, or it's not the cosmic accountant on uh, on a cloud keeping a checklist, or it's not yada, yada, yada. It's whatever you choose it to be, as long as it's something with a, outside of myself that has a better track record than I got. And once given that concept, all of a sudden, the biggest relief came over me. And it was because 
My God, you mean I don't have to live my entire life by my own means? That's a, what a load off. Uh, and the other thing is that I saw people around here doing a great job of it. Now, are the circumstances of my life any, any uh, different in terms of the crud that goes on? No. Um, I'm in physical pain most of the time. Um, but considering the alternative, I'm okay with the physical pain because what, what this 12-step life has given me is the willingness and it's given me some teachability to play the hand that we're dealt regardless of what it is. We learn to play the hand we're dealt in here. Incidentally, that pain comes out of uh, it was ten years ago this year. I was in a, a, in a near fa- it was a fatal. My passenger was killed, and uh, and I nearly was. And it was a whole series of miracles that uh, you know this um, old guy made it, and this young guy didn't. And what I got out of that? How many times have you heard it said from a podium like this? God's not done with me yet. Um, well, it's one thing to hear it, and another reason to uh, another thing to get that kind of an example. And so, would I would I wish that for you? No. Um, am I glad it happened? I have to. I don't know if "glad's" the right word, but I'm grateful because it was the turning point. There are no longer any huge big deals. Now, I forget that occasionally. But I have this mantra, and it's the step three mantra, you know, that that works for me. And if it works for you, I invite you to use it. And that is God's in charge, and all is well. Uh, that is my my act of turning my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understand God. Um, what that means, turning my will over, means that what I do on a daily basis, there's that word do again, is motivated by what would uh, a committee of sponsors, experienced sponsors, do in this situation? What would a loving person do in this situation? You've heard that from the podium, I'm sure. What would, um, what would some enlightened individual do in this situation? Which is not to say that I do it. Now, and let me be very, very clear about that. But it's asking the question, what would somebody do in that situation? And surrender, which is nothing but you know, the willingness to be teachable, says, okay, I'll take a stab at it. I'll, I'll come close to it. And I'll apply my sliding scale of morality to it because I am still a human. A human. And I, I, I'm not even a human being at this point. I'm a human doing who still wants what I want, when I want it, how I want it, sometime between now and right now. I mean, I'm wired that way. We're wired that way. And to completely, ex- to, to expect to be completely unwired, I don't think is in the cards for us. Some of us are gentle people. Some of us swing from the chandeliers. Um, I went from a chandelier swinger to a pseudo-gentle spiritual person at about three to four years and I'm here to tell you that that spiritual life was an act I didn't know it was an act I didn't understand that it was an act but it was an act 
Uh, and that's what happens sometimes with us because uh, we're, we're pendulum people. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a pendulum person. When I, uh, years ago, I used to bite my nails. Bit my nails to the quick. Bit them till they bled. Got into Overeaters Anonymous, got spiritual, and I grew these nails that were like this. And women would admire my nails. You know, it's like the pendulum. It's, it's just, it's weird. But the cool part is that eventually it settles somewhere in the vast middle. Um, I'm married to somebody who is the exact opposite. She is a very gentle uh, She's not a 12-step person. She comes to this stuff naturally. Sometimes it pisses me off because she just naturally does what I often have to effort and struggle and call my sponsor and write and do this, and she just does it. And um, I'm the one that's, that's kind of swinging, and she's the one that's real calm. So it's... Neither one of us would change it because my job is to take us to the edge of the cliff and her job is to drag us back. And it just works. Um, I'm sorry I'm getting off track. I want to move into step four. Uh, step one, just the admission that, uh-oh, it's out of control, right? Step two, there is something out there with a better track record than me. And once I connect with it, things are going to get better. Step three, um, my will is, I've talked about the motivation for the stuff that I do. My life is all of the outcomes. That's what I mean when I say I'm turning my life over to God. You know, God's in charge of the outcomes. Uh, and that means simply to me God's in charge and all is well. Um, exactly one month from today, we're leaving to uh, relocate to Arizona. We're moving to Sedona. And... I operate a small business here, and I have connections and, and, and roots here and in my industry, and, and I'm, I enjoy a, 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 repu a decent reputation, a good reputation in my industry. And so I had this wild hair idea that I could somehow work it 50% of the time here, 50% of the time there, um, get real. Um, I've had to come to the conclusion, um, see, one of the other things is that this guy who started out with no understanding of God, whatever, um, uh, 11 years ago became clergy in my denomination. And so, as part of that, I've walked a number of people through the end stage of their lives. That's one of the things we have to do. And there isn't a single person that ever said, gee, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. And I just had to get off this idea that, but you don't understand, my case is different. It's not. Um, I have the most incredible life and the most incredible marriage. We work at it. Uh, we play at it. It's just as sweet as can be. And by what insanity would I put that at risk? Because a J-O-B is a J-O-B, and I can do what I do anywhere by trying this back and forth thing. And that's why the grand chess master in the sky 
set it up to where every time I looked for temporary quarters, every door closed. Every single door closed. Because somebody was taking care of me when I wouldn't take care of myself. And I didn't talk about it with... I, I have three sponsors, and I made sure I talked about it with a sponsor who, who didn't have the, the same quality of marriage that I do. Because there was a part of me that, would, that knew if I went to the guy that had the marriage that I want and that I have, he would say, are you nuts? And I didn't want to hear it. Um, and I'm actually admitting it to you guys for the first time openly in a meeting. This is the first time I've had that discussion. All of my conversation has been, well, I'm going to go back and forth. I'm, I'm not leaving. Guess what? I'm leaving. In order to become a little more of a being, I have to do certain kinds of things. And so what the doing is in a 12-step sense, when I show up in a 12-step room, I cannot show up as Mr. Experience. I cannot show up as somebody that has this stuff wired or understands it, because the longer I'm here, the less I know. And if I, if I try to, to say it differently, then it becomes an ego trip. And I've been involved in a number of people with their ego trips, my own among them, and sooner or later, it's going to come crashing down. So I should quit that one while I'm still ahead. Um, I try to bring a newcomer's consciousness to a meeting. When I was at World Service last year, I met people who would routinely travel three states in order to go to meetings. Uh, some of the plain states, that's the way it is. And yet, we've got one on every corner just about every day, and we have a tendency to take it f for granted. Just like we take our relationships for granted, just like we take our spouses for granted, just like we take our parents for granted, just like we take our jobs for granted. Um, so... Because I no longer live in meetings, I don't go to 40 meetings a month like I did when I first got here. It's important to me that I, I try to listen like I was hearing the stuff for the first time, uh, which is most of the time when those readings that we've heard time and time and time again are happening, my job is to be quiet close my eyes and really listen and see if it hits me a different way. Uh, my job is to go to a meeting. Uh, there used to be one, and I hope it's still here, at uh, the church in Santa Monica at 7.30 in the morning on Mondays and Wednesdays, and it's called On Awakening, and they read it every single time. And I hope that meeting's still there. Um, that's one of the things that helps, bring a newcomer's consciousness. Second of all, making sure that I'm there to give as much as I am to take. And by giving, I'm not talking about this kind of thing. I don't like to do this a whole lot. Uh, but it's giving one-on-one -on -one to somebody who's walking in and thinking that they probably landed in the middle of downtown Oz and is just trying to get out of here quick. And to make that person feel you know, genuinely welcome and as comfortable as I can make them feel realizing that they're probably like this right now because that's the way I was. And again, guys, that's why I stayed. Is it why you stayed? I don't know. But would it be easier if... Would it have been easier to stay if someone had done that 
completely for you? And do you want to take that opportunity to do it for somebody else? Because the bottom line is, you may be here two days, but if some, you know, poor soul is here for two hours, you know, that two days looks huge. Um, it's also important to me to go to a meeting that, at least one meeting a week, that make, does its focus on the big book. And in the San Fernando Valley, there's one on Tuesday mornings at 7.30, and, and people do their best to get there, and it's just awesome. And there's another one at 7.30 on Saturday morning in Burbank, which has become my home meeting. Uh, imagine a meeting in a room this size with anywhere from 40 to 80 laughing, giggling, kicking, scratching people and having a good time at 7.30 on a Saturday morning. That's why I'm there. And then another meeting has to be, uh, for me, of a rather meditative. In other words, all those meetings are about doing. I need to go to one that's about being. And you know, that's still the hardest thing for me. Uh, I know how to meditate, but it takes me a long time to get into it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the thing that I need to do is the thing that I'm not all that comfortable doing. If I've got conversation that says, this I will never do, don't ask me, don't talk to me, that's going to point me in the direction of something, I, of, of some place I need to go. Um, I mean, that's just the way it is. That's why I stopped saying, I will never ever skydive and jump out of an airplane. I stopped saying that because I don't want to skydive and I don't want to jump out of an airplane. And every single thing, time I've said that, that's been an area. So that's, you know, and that's how I mess around with the system. Um, you know, that's kind of it. I, uh, like I said, I don't have this pat deal. Um, but if I, if I leave you with nothing, it's that this stuff works. Um, I need to uh, what we were talking about at the at that um, inventory meeting it, it happened we read the big book we read uh, a couple pages of the big book and the shares can only be on what we read at that particular meeting and we were going back over uh, that portion of the big book where just ahead of that that inventory that sample inventory in the big book and if, if you notice that the common thread that on that sample inventory is fear 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 I guess that's what they meant when they said driven by a hundred forms of fear we yada yada and this happens um, and the, the thing that that struck me is that what we cannot have is this thing called resentment there is uh, it's better left to people who can handle it better than we can handle it. Um, what that means is that I have to do this thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness? You want me to what? Well, but you don't understand. They did this incredible, horrible thing to me. And you know what? It probably was. It probably was an incredibly horrible thing, whatever it might be, and however, however long ago it was. But it's also a fact of life that they're probably gone. 
Um, I remember coming to a meeting and hearing somebody, you know, talk about all their terrible experiences with their first sponsor and what a looney tune their first sponsor was. And yada, 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 yada over the first sponsor. And what I was thinking is that, hmm, is this uh, first sponsor just, you know, was this last week? Was it yesterday? Turns out it was, you know, 16, 17, 18 years ago. The first sponsor is long gone. And this individual is, you know, who, suddenly whose problem is it? Uh, all right, so what do we do with that? Uh, it doesn't mean that forgiveness means what they did was okay. What it means is that I have got to make a conscious choice that says, I no longer will allow myself to live at the effect of what they did. And the way I heard it said at this gathering uh, in Albuquerque last week was this one particular minister had a three-word way of putting it. And what they said was, it is done. That's her mantra. It is done. Um, I don't have to invite them to dinner. I don't have to say, that's okay, you did the best you could. I don't have to come up with some platitude, but I have to, by God, decide that I am not going to live at the effect of this anymore. That is a form of forgiveness that is it took years and years and years to understand. Um, and it's fascinating because as I was thinking about it, there are only two people left that I've got those kinds of issues with. Um, one is a, a, a lady that did something and it was like eight, nine months ago and it was it, it hurt it hurt a lot it it was a mistake it was an accusation i was uh portrayed erroneously as being sexually uh inappropriate within a certain situation uh and that real bothersome stuff so it hurt a lot and you know what i put up a wall i cut myself off from 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 this individual and from all of their friends and yada 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 the bottom line is, after the initial hurt or pain wears off, uh, whose problem is it if I'm the one that continues to hold them hostage? Does that mean that they're going to get, be invited to a going-away party? No. But letting them off the hook simply means that I am supporting that decision to no longer live at the effect of it. And I'm, I'm having this conversation with you, but I'm also having it with myself because I've let go of maybe 70, 80, 90 percent of it, and I would love tonight to be the last 10 percent. Um, and the other one was uh, an OA individual who... Uh, you know that we've had our, our situations in Overeaters Anonymous with the them and us mentality. Um, whether it's people with a certain emphasis, I'm talking about em disease emphasis, um, 
He's saying, you know, we belong. No, you don't. You know, it's, it's, it's them and us. And, you know, as soon as I'm in a them and us conversation or a them and us mentality, whether it's OA or OA how or whether it's the, the anorexics and bulimics and the compulsive, I'm, I've got to be off base. I'm out of principle as soon as there's them and us. What's it say? We can live together or we can die separately. And um, I was involved with a conversation with somebody who just told me what a jerk I was and how unabstinent I was and how this I was and how that I was because um, I just didn't, you know, I didn't have this normal, completely normal looking body. And who was I to be standing up and quote unquote representing OA as a whole? OA as a whole. Um, it hurts in two areas. One, there's a part of me that believes it. Why don't I have this perfect body? You see, I may not be an anorexic or a bulimic, but I still have that little mental part of the disease that says there's something wrong with me if I don't look a certain way. If I don't have my ducks lined up in a row. Uh, and so I bought into it. And so part of me was going, geez, are they right? And the other part of me was looking at the judgment. There is a difference between judgment that condemns and judgment that observes. And judgment that observes lovingly delivered I want it I need it that's what I have three sponsors for um, judgment that condemns judgment that is used as an excuse to take away affection respect or uh, yeah affection or respect from another human being it just doesn't work it's lousy um, so it isn't them and us it's all of us and as one of the all of us, I want to wrap up with just saying if, if you didn't get anything from what I have to say, it's okay. It just means that we're singing off of different sheets of music. But look around. We're all so different. And we have this thing that we strive for called unity with diversity. And I've seen it. And I've been a part of it. And as long as I'm more interested in the all of us than I am in my own particular agenda, I know it's going to work. And so thank you for, for just letting me be here. And, and I feel the affection, and I sure hope you can feel it coming off of me. So I'm done. Thanks. And I guess I, this is where, uh, if anybody wants to throw a for instance or a question or a, an answer, I'm, I'm game. Yeah. Hi, Mel. Thanks for your share. Um, I appreciate your um, Mel, you, you expressed earlier how your ecclesiastical community is important part in your life. And I wondered if you could share a little bit how the steps or how the program has impacted your, your life within your ecclesiastical community or vice versa in terms of your 
Okay. So the question was, how do does my 12-step life and my ecclesiastical life, how are they separate, how are they different, how are they blended? Okay. First of all, the 12-step life is what led to the ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical life. Just because I got, and, and talk about the man upstairs, um, or the grand chess master in the sky, as I call, uh, that's God being anonymous. Um, I was hired by a ministry to videotape their classes. And so I was videotaping their classes for production on, uh, uh, in other cities. And so, of course, I had to listen to the material, and the material started making sense. So God happened to put me in a place. My particular faith, I, I have a lot of friends of, of, of my own faith, obviously, and some of them are clergy, rabbis and cantors. And among us, they, there is this conversation that says, we are very good as Jews at teaching the culture what it is to be culturally Jewish, we are not as good at teaching the religiosity, the relationship with God that OA and 12 Steps speaks of, uh, which is uh, it's something that every faith is, is trying to do its best to, to, to personalize, if you will. And so what happened is that God operating anonymously put me in a room where a set of principles that would allow me to more formalize that happened. I happen to be in a denomination which honors all faiths. And in our congregation, we do something for Hanukkah. We do something for, for just about every holiday. Uh, there were lots of questions in the beginning. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't, how does this square with this? How does this square with this? What I can tell you is that every one of those questions were answered and the answers were consistent and remain consistent with a 12-step life. So what I'm getting to is that nobody has to feel that they're going to go and, and somehow be, be uh, not uh, uh, functioning in their faith in order to do 12-step or not doing functioning in 12-step in order to do, uh, choose a faith. And it's not mandatory to choose a faith. I want to be very clear on that. I love working with people who don't have faith. Uh, it's not my job to give them faith. Uh, my job is to open up a set of what does the book say we we offer this simple this kit of simple spiritual tools for your examination my job is just to offer the kit and where it leads somebody that's where it leads them does that help i guess we're there oh okay yes please yes mel was uh, what about this whole sugar thing and I have had it go up and down um, 
I believe that there is no one solution of a physical nature to the, the practice of abstinence. Abstinence is honest eating. Um, and food plan is what it's going to take to one, be honest, and two, be whatever healthy is for you. What healthy is for me and what healthy is for, you know, that pretty lady over there is going to be very different. I mean, it's just the way it is. And that's why sponsorship's important. I'm going to probably be taken to task for this, but uh, so be it. Overeaters Anonymous tried to uh, put together a, a new version of the dignity of choice because we realize that food is an issue and there is a, a, a movement in the, one of the divisive elements within the, in OA is do we talk about food or not or do we talk about uh, just the steps and leave everybody on their own. Um, I bet if we were, and I don't want to take a show of hands, but no matter how experienced we are in this room, I'll bet that everybody in here from time to time has said, I don't care how much I've heard, I still don't know how to eat. And I think that it's our job to get that advice which is specific to us in our health. Uh, some people can play around the edges. Other people, when they play around the edges, it's like starting this little ritual dance and all of a sudden you're gone. And so if that's you know what happens for you, well, I guess we don't start the dance. And, and that's what I've had to do in every area of my life, whether it's a physical area or whether it's relationships or whatever it might be. If I'm starting in on some ritual mind game or some ritual dance, whether it's with a person or whether it's with a, 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 an employment or a professional area or whether it's with my food. Once I start to dance, there's, there becomes a point at which you can say, wait a minute, I'm in the dance, I better quit. But most of the time, no. So I guess the answer to your question would be, if you had realized you're dancing, stop. <laughs> I guess that's the best way that I can answer it. Yeah. One more quick one. No. No, and I'm here to tell you that if it's still a huge issue in my life, I'm not honest about it, and I'm not open about it. And anybody that says they're 100% honest is a fool or a liar, in my opinion. Remember, I may need to go in that garbage can. Um, I just, you know, it's like the term unconditional love. The only unconditional love that I've ever received was from a golden retriever. Uh, so it, it's like uh, um, I think that it's a, it's an evolving process, you know. I, 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 this this honesty thing um, does that help? Um, yeah, I am honest to the degree that I, I if I'm if, if I, I don't talk about where it's, it's really bugging me and where I'm really having trouble with it, the honesty generally doesn't come from the podium. The honesty has to come in my one-on-one -on -one relationships with sponsors. Okay, I guess it's time to quit. Thank you so much.